I grew up in a home in which my mother loved to have guests and entertain. And so even as a child, one of my responsibilities would be to set the table. And so I learned that there was a particular place where everything was supposed to be. And there was even a, a side to which the glass was supposed to be on. I learned as I grew a little older, if you were serving the table, that you would come in from the right because you, you wanted to just be aware of what is taking place. And so my job was to help get the table prepared because the guests were coming. As we look at Psalm 23 today, I, I want you to see that there is a God who has prepared a place for you. And no matter what you're facing in life, no matter what you're going through, this God cares about you. And he demonstrates his care through his provision. We'll get there in a moment. But first, Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in, in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of the most familiar passages in all of the scriptures. Maybe some of the verses in this chapter of Psalm 23 even more familiar than John 3.16. Because we hear them at a common time in life. Most often, it's at death. Some of these words may be the last words of a dying person or they're the first words of comfort to a chaplain to a past, from a pastor to a grieving person. And that's not inappropriate. These are comforting words. These are some of the most soothing words in all of the Bible. And yet to think this is a poem or a passage, a chapter about death would be a mistake. Because while death is mentioned at the end, it starts, the Lord is our shepherd. It ends, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Everything in between there is about how we live. The life that we experience. How we relate to one who is a shepherd, written by King David, who was a shepherd, but yet he refers to this, in this passage, to himself as a sheep. So the inference is, as we take this in, we are sheep. In fact, the Bible, more than 200 times, refers to you and I as sheep. Dumb sheep. Dirty sheep. Often defenseless sheep. And if you're a sheep, the one thing you know is you had better stay close to the shepherd. 
The most important thing for the sheep is the proximity to the shepherd. And, and so really what I want you to know as we get started today is that there is a shepherd who cares for you. There is a God who deeply loves you, who cares for you. Jesus cares for you. And whatever you're facing, life is always better when the Lord is your shepherd. And so I would ask you, is the Lord your shepherd? Not have you been through some kind of religious ritual or that you have joined an organization. But have you come to a place where you recognize your very existence is dependent upon the one whom you follow? That's easy to do when you think of all the good things that the shepherd does. He, he makes us lie down in green pastures. It's a picture of rest because he's dealt with our fears. He's dealt with the conflicts in our life and all those pests that bother us. And he's even fed us. He's dealt with our hunger. So we lie down in green pastures. And he leads us by the still waters because he knows that the calm and the chaos stress us out. It, it destroys any peace in our life. So he takes us to still waters and, and he does restore our soul. Called a friend earlier this week, and near the end of the conversation, I said to him, Are you okay? And he said, Well, you're the second person to ask me that this afternoon. And I said, It's because I'm your friend. Something's different in your voice. What's going on? And he said, I'm I'm tired. And I suppose that's the most common thing I hear these days. In this season that we're walking through. I'm weary. I'm depleted. I'm tired. And so if that's where you are. You can relate to. He restores my soul. And then he leads me in the right path. When I don't know what to do or where to go. He shows me the right way. I mean these are things that make me want to say yes. He's a good shepherd. But then this same guy. This same shepherd leads me into dark valleys. I have to face the shadow of death. I don't want that. I don't want to experience life's low times. I don't want to think about death. That's painful. And then this same shepherd prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I, I don't want him to show up in the presence of my enemies. I want him to destroy my enemies. I don't want to think about enemies. And yet that's what he says. Some look at this verse, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Some look at this as a transition. David's no longer talking about a shepherd and a sheep. He's talking about a host and his guests. And I suppose you could interpret it that way, but I don't think so. Because you begin to realize this whole chapter is about a year-long cycle that the sheep and the shepherd walk through. And after they've come through the valley, the shepherd has to demonstrate to the sheep that he is still with them. He is still providing for them. And so when you see it from the shepherd's perspective, when he's just brought the sheep through the darkest valleys of life and they've just 
escaped death's shadow, then it makes sense that he would prepare a table. A table could be a mesa. Out in Colorado, there are a lot of mesas, kind of flat mountains that look like tables. Where I used to live, there was an area called Table Rock because the rock formation looked like table. So maybe in that flat area, the shepherds come through the valley and he's preparing for these hungry sheep a feast, showing them that he is still with them, demonstrating his care. And in fact, I think this verse, verse 5, could be kind of a summary of what this whole chapter is about. That God is a God of provision. That God is a God who protects us. That God is a God who is present. If I were just to sum that up in a phrase, I would say God is for us. He is with us. And nothing can keep him from us. That's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. He begins that chapter by saying, hey, if you are in Christ, know this, there is zero, no condemnation. There is no condemnation in Christ. So how do I get into Christ? Well, he tells us later in eight, you have to be adopted into God's family. So if you come before your heavenly father and you say, daddy, and and you're adopted into that family, then he tells us later in that same chapter that even when you walk through the valleys of life, that, that God causes all things, say all things. To work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And then he says, as a result of that, nothing, say nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. See, you have a God who is for you. You have a God who is with you. And you have a God that cares for you so much that when you are with him, nothing can separate you from him. That's what Jesus talks about when he refers to himself as the good shepherd in John 10 when he says, and I am your good shepherd and nothing can snatch you out of my father's hand. That's just the way it works. So let me just say a few things about this chapter and how it applies to us. First of all, I want you to understand that God knows what you need. Today, like every time we come together, we've walked in here pulling our baggage, right? Raise your hand if you got baggage. Okay, the people who aren't raising their hand, their baggage is they're afraid to, you know, okay. So we've all got baggage, and we come in here pulling it. And that's why some of you, you're kind of sensitive, and you're, you're watching out, and it's part of our baggage. Here's the good news. God knows that. He knows everything about you. He knows everything you need. Nothing in your life catches him off guard. And that kind of God has prepared for you. It's interesting, whether it was that mesa, that flat piece of land, or or whether the shepherd just found a place where he could spread out his cloth and provide for the sheep, the shepherd knew what they needed. Someone knew what I needed. Diet Dr. Pepper. Wow. And what a feast I have here in front of me. Mashed potatoes and gravy. Corn. The Baptist bird. Chicken. And even some bread. Can I get a witness? I mean, praise the Lord. Uh, This is exciting. And, And, you know, when the shepherd provides for the sheep, he knows what they need. In fact, 
Listen to what Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I want you to understand, God knows what you need, and he is preparing for you exactly what you need. That's part of why you're here. That's part of these words that you're listening to, what you're getting, because your Father loves you, and he wants the best for you. We're at a different stage in our family life. We now have six children, because one of my children is married, and but four of them don't permanently live at our house. One lives full-time in Orlando where he works. My newlyweds live down in West Palm. And then I have a son who's just gone back to college in that same area. And so it's a big deal when anybody comes home. And it's especially a big deal to mama. And mama knows what they like. So if Micah comes back from Orlando, here's what I know I'm going to be eating. I don't really get a vote. Micah got the vote, and so we're going to eat ham, and we're going to eat Mama's homemade macaroni and cheese. This isn't none of that craft stuff out of a box. I mean, this is homemade macaroni and cheese where you pour in that Eagle brand milk, and then you put some cheese on top and some more macaroni, and then some cheese, and then some more. I mean, this is good stuff. A heart attack in a casserole dish, but it is good stuff, and Micah loves it. Mama makes it for him. And if Caleb comes home, I know I'm going to have Mama's lasagna. And Mama's lasagna has the red sauce and the white sauce, and it's got Italian sausage in it. None of that hamburger. That's like southern lasagna. I don't, we want southern Italy. And so Mama makes lasagna, and that's Caleb's favorite thing. Now, Noah, Noah's our healthy one. He's, he, he likes healthy stuff. And so um, when he comes home, Mama now makes some salmon dish, and it, it's healthy. It, it's... <laughs> It's healthy, but she knows knows what he likes, right? Well, the Bible says that you have a shepherd. He, He knows what you like. He knows what you need, and he's provided a feast for you. I just want you to think about that for a second. All that that means, the creator of the universe, the one who hung the stars in space, He provides a feast for you at a table prepared for you. And what is he trying to do? When he prepares the table, he's demonstrating his provision. That there is nothing that you're going to have lacking in life if you simply trust him. Are you resting in that today? Have you understood his provision in your life? But there's more to this story. He prepares a table before us, and that demonstrates his provision. But our table's in the presence of our enemies. What's that about? That demonstrates his power. Now, who are our enemies? I I like to tell you that usually we, we like to think you've only really got one enemy. Now, he's a doozy. He He's a bad guy. We call him Satan, the devil, the slanderer, the father of lies, a big ugly. I mean, whatever you want to. The Bible says he roams to and fro seeking whom he may devour. 
If you don't believe that, I'm reading through the Bible, and I'm in Job right now. And twice in the first two chapters of Job, it says that uh, Satan walks up and says to God, hey, what's going on? And God says, not much. What's going on with you? And he says, I've just been roaming the earth, wreaking havoc. And that's what he does. But here's the good news. We're on the other side of this. We know that Satan's been defeated, right? He's a defeated foe. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Satan does not need to have power over you. But here's the problem. There are pawns in Satan's game. People and things he uses that become enemies in your life. See, an enemy is anything that threatens your security in your walk with God. So um, maybe relationships become an enemy factor in your life. Or, or maybe there are things you're putting into your body. Food can even become an en enemy if that's something that you're addicted to or alcohol or drugs or Maybe it's this attitude that you have, and it, it becomes an enemy in your life. And here's the problem for those of us who are Christ followers. We know that we have a God who loves us and has provided for us. And, and we're, we're sitting at the table that he's prepared for us. And, and, and we want to feast in the midst of his preparation. But we look up and, and we see our enemies. And it becomes a distraction. And for some of you, what you do in that moment, rather than looking back down and recognizing God's provision, you focus on the enemy. And you forget what God has done for you. And if you're focused on the enemy, if your eyes are on the enemies that are in your presence, then your eyes are not on the shepherd. So here's a message for you today. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Don't do it. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Hey. Andrew? Hey. What are you doing? I have just a quick question for you. Can uh, I just... I'm kind of busy right now. I'm in the middle of something. Uh, well, it's just, it's Andrew, just... I, I think you need to excuse yourself. Oh, uh, later. You need to okay. be gone. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Some of you are distracted that easily. And the Bible says that there are three things the enemy uses in his arsenal. There's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and there's the pride of life. And so for some of you, this, this lust of the flesh, it creates cravings within you. And you've got all of this before you. And you're thinking, man, I should just, hmm. I should just enjoy what's before me. But you don't let that satisfy you. And, and you crave. Maybe it's a relationship you think somebody else has. Or a life you think they're enjoying. And that lust of the flesh is an enemy that's sitting at your table. Or maybe it's the lust of the eyes. And I think of that not as much as our cravings, but as our comparison. We, we look at everybody else and we think, man, I just want their life. 
I want what they have. And, and we let that enemy of comparison come at our table. And, and that takes place even at church. Or you know where it takes place really bad? We look, we're dumb because we're sheep, because sheep are dumb. And you know what we dumb sheep do? We look on Facebook or Instagram at the life someone's pretending to have. And it's usually fake. But we look at that and we play the comparison game. And before we know it, the enemy is sitting at our table. And there's the pride of life. Really, that's when we've made it all about ourselves, And we just become the competitor. And I'm going to do whatever it takes just to make me happy. And we've given the enemy a seat at the table. I would tell you, do not give the enemy a seat at your table. Our God knows what you need. And he's got your enemies in his hand. Don't let them take away what he's provided for you. By the way, there's another time in Scripture where God's Word tells us that Jesus is providing for us. Jesus is gathered with his disciples, and he's really talking about the enemy because he's facing his death. And I imagine as the disciples gathered there for that meal, they were thinking, man, we could even die. They're after Jesus. They'll be after us. And, and Jesus said this in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I prefer the word mansions. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? God is preparing a place for you. Not just now. He's preparing eternity for you. So here's what I want you just to ask as you think about this God who, who knows what you need. Are, are you prepared for what he's prepared for you? Have you taken the steps to be able to receive that which he has planned for you? God knows what you need. But I want you to understand something else. God is able to meet your needs. And some of you just need to be reminded of that truth today. Say this. Say, he is able. He is able. Say it again. Say, he is, able. he is able. Whatever you're facing, the discouragement, the distractions, the difficulties of life, God is able. That's why Paul would say in Philippians, speaking of contentment, that my God will supply your every need of yours according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. That's what he makes available to us. His provision, he's able. And so, unfortunately, sometimes we forget that. And sitting here at the table, when we should be preparing to feast... We see something and we hear something and all of a sudden we're distracted and the enemy is sat at our table. And the way that looks in our lives is the slope of sinfulness. We blow it. We know what to do. We know that the shepherd would lead us in the right path, but we take a wrong turn. 
And we find ourselves in a relationship we should have never been in or we find ourselves putting something in our body that we should have never done or watching something we should never watch or acting a way we should never act or fill in the blank. Our shepherd knows this is a possibility. So the shepherd would prepare a feast for these sheep as they came through the valley. And maybe it would be spread out even on a cloth. I mean, some good grass. I mean, everything a sheep would like to eat. But sheep are dumb. And so this sheep's sitting here feasting at the table of the shepherd. And all of a sudden he looks and berries. Big, beautiful berries. And so the sheep wanders over to the berry bush and he sticks his head in the berry bush and he begins to eat the berries and it's oh so good until he begins to try to pull his head away. Because every time there are berries, you're going to find thorns. And the sheep pulls his head away and is full of all these thorns and oh no, and there he's just standing there going, man. And the shepherd comes along and he kneels down and he takes his oil. And he rubs that oil in the head of that sheep. And he gets those thorns out. He anoints their head with oil. Or, <laughs> that's not the only danger of stupid sheep. The, the, the sheep wanders from the table and he sees these holes in the ground. And he thinks, oh, I wonder what's in that hole. And he forgets that deep within that hole lives his greatest nemesis, the nose fly. But he sticks his nose down in that hole. And the flies come up his nostrils. And do you know what the nose flies do in the nostrils of sheep? They lay eggs. It's awful. And so the sheep come back to the shepherd and they're going, man, man. The shepherd kneels down. And from his side, he takes the oil. And he rubs their head with oil. Or the sheep have contracted a very contagious infection. And when one gets it in a flock, they bump heads with others. And before you know it, everybody's infected. And the shepherd takes the oil and he anoints their heads. You see this in a little different light now? You see, our shepherd knows that sometime we're going to give the enemy a seat at our table and we'll go, what did Isaiah say? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. So we go our own way. It always gets us in trouble. And the only thing that will help us is the salving oil of the shepherd. I'm so thankful that as I look back on my life, God has uh, he's shown me grace. I love James 4, 6. He gives more grace. Aren't you thankful that God's grace never runs out? He is so faithful. I, I look at my life and I think, good night. 
I'm an idiot. I mean, there's no reason with my background. Some of you have had a very rough background. You've come through valleys really straight out of the womb. You went into dark valleys, but not me. I was so blessed. And there, there's so little reason that I would be a dumb sheep and wander my own way, but I have time and time again. And, and time and time again, God has demonstrated his grace. He's shown me that he will meet my need. I like that old song. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. That's his oil for you. It's his grace. And, and maybe today you, you need to know that, yes, you have a God who knows your need, but this same God can meet your need, and he does that with with his grace. And by the way, once again in the, the New Testament, we see that Jesus has already met our greatest need, right? Romans 5 6 says that for while we were still weak at the right time, say at the right time, God is always on time. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since, therefore, we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. See, the whole message of the gospel is that you and I are dumb sheep. We're, going, we're prone to wander. We're going to go our own way, even with what God's provided for us. God knew this. The right response from our shepherd would be to be angry at us, would be to pour out his anger and his wrath. But Jesus took the wrath of God when he died on the cross. And when Jesus died for your sin and my sin and that wrath of God was poured out on him, he made a way for God to meet our needs as a result of his great grace. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. God knows what you need. God's able to meet your need. But I want you to understand something. God will always give you even more than you need. He's our more than enough God. Do you know that's what he was called in the Old Testament? More than enough. Really, that's part of the meaning of the name El Shaddai, that he's the all-sufficient one. He, he's the one that's always going to be there meeting the needs. He's our more than enough God. We, we see that throughout the New Testament, too. In Ephesians 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you understand that? That if you are a child of God, he's already told you. He's going to give you everything you need, every blessing, everything you could possibly need to make it through this life. He's making available to you. He's fighting your battles. He's taking care of your enemies. He's dealing with you through the valleys. He's going to provide. You've just got to look to him. That's why Paul would go on to say in chapter 3 of Ephesians, Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. God's already given you the power through his spirit to accomplish everything he wants you to accomplish. You've just got to decide, do you trust him 
to be your more than enough. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So here I am, dumb sheep. I should have stayed at the table. I didn't. I got caught up with the enemy. I've come back and I've experienced God's grace. What do I need now? I just need to drink in his blessings. And so the sheep's here, and, and we already know that the sheep won't drink from a babbling brook. They won't drink from a flowing stream or a rapid river. They only drink from the still water. And if you're not in a place where the still water's around, the shepherd has to bring the water. And so imagine the shepherd's coming with a pail of water. Think of a big pail with kind of a wire hanging over that he's holding. And here comes the shepherd coming along his way toward the sheep. And what's happening to that pail full of water? It's overflowing. And what is the sheep doing? The sheep is going, mm, mm, I need me some of that water. And Jesus was with this lady that was at a well, and um, it was clear that she wasn't feasting on what God had created her for. She, had, she was seeking to meet her needs out in the world. She had been with man after man after man, and it was leaving her thirsty. And it's Jesus who said to her, hey, if, if you drink of my water, living water, you'll never thirst again. In that passage where Jesus tells us that there is a thief, a, an enemy, and he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. You know what he also tells us? He says, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it, how? Abundantly. You know what that word abundantly means? Literally. Overflowing. That's what God wants for you. He is for us. He is with us. And nothing can keep him from us. Except us. We can walk away from the shepherd. And sometimes we do. This isn't the only time in Scripture that we see the table used as an analogy. In fact, in the passage I mentioned before, Jesus is gathered with his disciples at what we would now call the Last Supper. At a table, right? And it is a table of remembrance. And Jesus would take of the cup and he would take of the bread and he would say, From now on when you do this, you remember me and what I've done for you. And so today, as, as we think about this table of feasting, for some of you, you need to look back to the table of remembrance, and, and you need to remember what God has done for you. He's saved you. He's, he's picked you up. He's turned you around. He's put your feet on, on solid ground, and you need to go to that table of remembrance. But there's some others of you. You're more like Peter. There's another story in Scripture after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. He's cooking breakfast. Jesus is cooking breakfast at the Sea of Galilee. And he invites Peter to the table. His breakfast table. And it's a table of restoration. 
And that's where Peter's restored. This is Peter who denied Jesus. And maybe that's you. You are a follower of Christ, but, but you've walked away. Man, you've gone after the berries or you stuck your nose somewhere it should have never been. And, and you're not walking with God. And you just need that table of restoration. And oh, he wants to give it. Because there is an ending point. And the ending point is described in Revelation. The Revelation tells us the end of the story. And in Revelation 19, there's another table. And the table is at this big old feast. And it's called the marriage supper at the Lamb of the Lamb. And you know what that table is? It's not a table of remembrance. It's not a table of restoration. It's a table of rejoicing because you have an opportunity to recognize that the good shepherd has seen you through. He's given you everything you've needed. He's met you at those moments of the dark valley, and he's brought you through. He's been your more than enough. That's who he is. That's who he was for Luther Bridges, a pastor, a songwriter. He was away preaching when he got a call. In the middle of the night, it says, sir, we're so sorry to tell you this, but your home has burned down in the middle of the night. And, and your wife and your children, they could not be spared. They've lost their lives. Years later, he's sitting with Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, who's come to preach. And they're sitting at a breakfast table, and he's telling this story. He says, Dr. Peale... When that happened, all I could do was run outside, and I, I ran out into the street, and I began to yell at God, and I began to cry, and I began to moan, how could this happen? And he said, as I was running down the street, I came to a bridge overlooking a river, and for a moment, I thought, I, I, there's no reason to live. It's not worth living. I, I just need to jump in right now and, and join my family in eternity. I, I, there's no hope, and and he said, but Dr. Pill, just as I began to think that, it's like the Lord whispered into my life and he said, I'm with you. At that point, he got up from the breakfast table with Dr. Pill and he walked over to the piano that was in the room. And he said, in those moments, I believe God gave me these words. And he began to play and sing. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Friend, I, I wish I could tell you that you won't have dark valleys. I wish I could say you won't face the shadow of death. You will. <laughs> and I wish we didn't have to deal with the enemies in our presence. But we do. But if you stay close to the shepherd, you'll understand none of that can destroy you. Because God is for you. And God is with you. And nothing can keep him from you.
I want us to stand together. And let's say this psalm together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Are you living out those words? Are you trusting in the good shepherd? Are you letting him lead you even in the difficult moments? Are you feasting at his table and his provisions? <laughs> if not, why in the world not? Why not start that today? And for somebody here, I, I believe God brought you to this place because you need the most important thing that the shepherd can give you, which is salvation. You need a relationship with Jesus. You need to begin to walk with God. You need to follow the shepherd once and for all. You need to be saved. And if that's you, I want to invite you to do that today. I want to remind you that the reason that Jesus died was because he had to take your punishment and my punishment. Remember, he took on the wrath of God. But he did that at just the right time, even though we are weak, even though we are sinful, even though we could not do it. He did that. And so we need to trust him. This is what the Bible says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. If you've never begun that relationship with Jesus, would you consider doing that right now? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say a prayer. It's not a magic prayer. There is no magic prayer. In fact, you could pray these words with your words. But if this represents the desire of your heart, maybe this is a way just to say, God, I'm ready. I'm going to begin this relationship with you. So if you've never taken that step and you sense God telling you now's the time, maybe you'd pray this. Say, dear Jesus, just you and him, dear Jesus, I know I need you. I am a sinner, a dumb sheep. I need to be saved. Tell him this. Say, I believe you died for me. But I know you're alive today. I know you forgive me. So I receive your forgiveness. And here I am. For the rest of my life, I'm turning to you. You're in charge. You are my shepherd, my savior. 
from now on, I'm following you. I tell him thank you.